Hello and welcome back to the Cisco UKI podcast, the podcast where we take the acronyms out of tech and we put the fun in. Hey, I'm Jitu. Thanks for listening to the Cisco UKI podcast. I love that podcast. You hear me? You'd think we would be experts at this by now, but every time. Can you hear me? Do you know what I think is quite a, a good fun idea is that um, Seb's team have like fines for like if you show up late to a call, you get a £10 fine. It's all for charity. You get a £10 fine. If you start talking while you're on mute and someone has to say you're on mute, you get a £10 fine. <laughs> I think we should oh start. Oh my God. And then they do I like a donation no to charity. <laughs> I'd have no money. Okay. I'd, I'd, I'm always just like, oh, a wee bit late, always. I just, I don't know what it is. It's like habit. It's like a bad habit, obviously. <laughs> I need to start getting into the habit of being there first. But then, did you see my latest TikTok on LinkedIn? Doesn't that just sum it up? I think that's why I try and avoid it. Because I'm just like, oh, sometimes you've just, especially first thing in the morning, you know when you've got like a nine o'clock and like you need to go on and like try and find something to say about the day. Like, Yeah, I did comment on your post and mine is always the weather. <laughs> always the weather. Always. It's always the weather. So, always. Especially yeah. in Scotland when you can have rain, snow, sunshine, thunderstorms all in one day. And it's always the same when you're in Scotland and someone's like in Edinburgh and you're in Glasgow and you're like, oh, is it raining in Edinburgh? Because it's raining in Glasgow. Yeah, so it doesn't matter. You can always talk about the Scottish weather. Um, and everyone always asks us, you know, is it grey today? Nine times out of ten, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone just assumes that it's always just going to be raining, which most of the time it is here. But anyway, that was a, a sidetrack, Rosie. We didn't start off our usual thing. Rosie! <laughs> just feels like we're podding all the time these days um lots and lots of fun though also it feels like autumn my house smells like autumn i've had a slow cooker on the go this morning with a nice stew like a proper old-fashioned granny recipe stew as in like beef stew and willy winky sausages Oh, really? For the record, I don't actually know if anyone else in the rest of the UK is actually going to know what Willy Winky sausages are. Is that a UK thing or a Scotland thing? I don't know. Oh, like don't the little skinless sausages. Must like be a sausage thing if it's Wee Willy. Wee Willy Winky, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, I'd give them a go. <laughs> boiling away, so, yeah. Oh my God, and I was watching a TikTok and it was of Mary Berry, like, talking about cooking on off-peak times and how to, like, keep your casserole warm for three hours by wrapping it in a bath towel like because of energy and i was like are we gonna go back to that <laughs> wow wow awesome. yeah <laughs> i've just tried to get into a bit of a habit of a slow cooker start of the day get up get my slow cooker on low let it run all day and then come dinner time it's ready to go so yeah we're we're quite a prep kind of household like we do a lot of i say we i don't cook um Seb does all the cooking, but yeah, he will do like all the mass cooking on a Sunday and then all I have to do is reheat it. So tonight I'm having buttered chicken, but that was done in the slow cooker. Wow. Wow. That yeah, prep is key. It's absolutely key. Especially on in the winter, I feel. I don't know, when it's like a dark night, you just want to be able to finish work, get a nice hearty meal in you, 
and then not have to worry about cooking. So yeah, the slow cooker is going to be out all the time in our house. Oh, we love and it just feels like, oh, to, and then we're going pumpkin picking at the weekend. That's first time ever done it. But I figured Charlie's now three. It's about, and he's obsessed with Halloween. We took him to the cinema for the first time ever also last weekend. Oh, and we went to yeah. go see Pocus Pocus, the original, which is my ultimate children's film that i used to watch every halloween it's kind of like the equivalent of home alone at christmas and scott my husband had never seen it and was sorely disappointed and i was like you can't it's cause constantly- everyone does build it up though like because i watched hocus pocus for the first time last year and seb was like obsessed and i was just like yeah it's all right but it's not Ah, do you know what it is? I think it's one of those ones where you have to have watched it as a kid and you have to be carrying all those magical memories. It's nostalgic. It's the same as realistically and be honest with yourself. If you had never seen Home Alone and you were to watch it for the first time ever now, you wouldn't see the hype in it. You would just think... No, I love it. I watch it every year and a couple of times every year. Like I am a big Home Alone fan, whereas my Mm -hmm. sister's Christmas film is Elf. Right, okay. Yeah, both Hold of those I can argue with, yeah. I just love it. Just It's so Christmassy. It's my, it's, it's my film. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Halloween. We're going pumpkin picking on Saturday. So yeah. this will be fun. Lots of mud. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> muddy fields, cold, probably going to be raining. <laughs> this is why having kids is the one. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. And then Scott was like, will we take Murphy? I'm like, ah, no, we're not adding to the stress by taking a dog to a mud fest. Are you joking? No, he's staying at home. So yeah, that's a total tangent, but that's my life. And then it feels like Halloween's going to come and go and then it's going to be Christmas. Mm. And we're already talking about the Scotland Christmas party, which is exciting. I've literally just put a text in the family chat to get the babysitter sorted because... Yeah, but you're ditching me this year, so... I know, this Good year God. I have a husband that now works at Meraki, so he will be coming to the Scotland Christmas party, so we won't be room buddies this year. I know, so sad, but you can just come into my room and get ready. We'll just abandon Yeah. Him. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll we'll do that. See, that'll be fun. And hopefully it'll be nice to celebrate properly with everyone. So I know because last year all the Christmas parties were still COVID restricted. So absolutely yeah. or didn't happen at all. Um if you're too late into December, which just seems like that just seems ages away to me now. But it really was only last Christmas. It's still quite wild. It feels like a different lifetime yeah, it altogether, does, doesn't it? Yeah. But we have and a very excited podcast today. Yeah, let's talk about that. That's Quick. why we're here. <laughs> um, oh, no, wait, wait. I did want to do something oh. at the start of this podcast because we actually got an email. <laughs> we got our desperation crying out for an email into that inbox worked and some lovely, lovely soul wrote us an email. And I'm going to read it out. I'll keep it anonymous. But... I just thought it was really nice and it does make our day look how happy we are about it. So hold on. I called Colette immediately because I just think it's so nice when people reach out. So nice. And here, here it is. So this is the part, this is the email that landed into the UKI podcast at cisco.com inbox, just in case anyone else would like to send us some feedback. Guys, just wanted to drop you a note to say thank you for all the effort you put into the podcast. I love listening in and I always take something away from each episode. You are both great ambassadors for Cisco. Keep it up. Love that. 
because we are in a very privileged position and we actually said this at the end of the podcast that we recorded today and I don't know if we kept this in or if it was after but it is a privilege like what we get that we get to host this and we get to talk to people that we would never get to talk to in our day-to-day jobs and find out about their amazing career journeys and the stuff that they do at Cisco and anyway I come away from every podcast recording feeling inspired and energized and it is so nice to hear that other people feel the same so yeah, we do love them. Virtual high five to me and you, <laughs> and to everyone who comes on and shares their story. Yeah, and actually, I don't know if it was just in relation to mental health day, but like a lot of people met, like messaged on the back of that saying thanks so much for putting this out. So maybe that was our top hit topic is breaking down the taboos. Absolutely, yeah. I did get some comments about the mental health awareness day that we put out about neurodiversity and yeah very very important topics that we're covering so speaking of which Rosie tell us what's in this month's episode so this week we are speaking to Guy who runs the CDA and networking academy for globally and um, we get to know a bit more about what CDA is because well I'll let him explain the acronym yeah and then uh, around what the Networking Academy is and what it does. So, um, And this is a special episode where, I mean, we spoke a lot about CDA. The acronym will be explained in the pod. But we were really focusing as well on Networking Academy because the pod is hopefully going to be going out around about the time of the 25th anniversary celebrations of Networking Academy. Um, so a huge milestone. Well, it's but, quite phenomenal, actually. Um. Right, but can we just talk about Guy before it starts? Because I don't want to preempt it too much. But there was ju- he was just fascinating. Like, I could have honestly sat and chatted to Guy all day. And you know, some people just have like a wee bit of like an aura around, like a presence. Like, they yeah, just. I don't know if that's because he's been in academia. I feel like it's someone who's Maybe. been in academia and has that presence about him, but he just had that presence. He was just calm and like. Composed. Composed, yeah. I don't know. I just felt like I was like drifting away listening to him, and I could have listened. And th- there were so many things that we cover, which obviously everyone's going to listen to when we play the interview. But the main thing I think that I've taken away from it was the whole we do have messaging at Cisco internally and externally about powering mm-hmm. an inclusive future for all. And I know that there'll be lots of people who work for Cisco or lots of people who know of Cisco who don't work for us who are like, oh, that's just words. But actually, CDA and Networking Academy really put it into perspective. And we all work for this company and we're all doing a small bit, whether we realise it or not, to actually contribute to these amazing programmes. So, yeah. And I think you can get caught up in our little bubble, like, of the UK, of Scotland, of Ireland, like, you know, within our little territories. But I think you don't actually realise the full scale of impact that like programs like CDA and Networking Academy have. So like it's always great to hear from someone like the global leader who can kind of explain the scale of it all. Absolutely. So on that note, shall we roll the interview, Rosie? We shall. Our podcast listeners who obviously can't see, you've got some nice big skyscrapers behind you there, guys. So you've got a nice setting to be 
quite a, an exotic setting actually for our podcast usually people are just in their bedrooms at home or their home offices so yeah but we always start our podcast with a bit of a, an icebreaker so we tend to do th things like love or loathe or what would you keep or what would you bin but given that you're traveling for work let me ask you a love or loathe what do you love about traveling for work and what do you loathe about traveling for work uh, what I love about traveling for work uh, is seeing people. Um, I, I just genuinely enjoy uh, being with people and uh, different cultures, different food, different ways of uh, conducting conducting business. Um, it's just, you know, running the Country Digital Acceleration Program gives you amazing access to amazing people. and uh, And so I love that part of the job. Uh, the load um, is uh, really uh, airports and masks <laughs> and all of the different uh, requirements now. I mean, I've, I've been on some planes where they require masks. I've been on other planes where they discourage masks. I've been <sighs> in airports where you have a two-hour wait to get through immigration. I've been in airports where it takes two minutes and all on this this latest round of travel. So it's, uh, that's the loathe part, the, the extreme in inconsistency um, around coming out of COVID. Um, but let's formally kick off now that Rosie's decided to join us. Um, and Guy, tell us a little bit about you. First of all, help me with the pronunciation of your surname. Uh, it's Diedrich. So it's Guy Diedrich. Diedrich. Yeah. Guy Diedrich. And um, tell us a bit about you, Guy. What do you do at Cisco? What's your day-to-day -day role? So um, I, I have the privilege uh, of running two programs. Uh, the first is the Country Digital Acceleration Program, and the second, uh, most recently, uh, is the Networking Academy Program. So the CDA program, uh, or, or we call Country Digital Acceleration CDA for short, um, was founded about eight years ago now and we did it in response to um, global leaders presidents prime ministers various ministers around the world that were releasing these really well thought out documents called national digital agendas uh, they had typically worked with the likes of a mckinsey or a deloitte or a pwc they spent a lot of time prioritizing and developing them uh, only to have them release too much fanfare and then stall. And they stalled because they didn't have an execution plan. So Cisco stepped up and said, we will develop a process whereby we can take these very complex, very well thought out national digital agendas, and we will break them out into an architecture, uh, individual projects, execution plans, and budgets so that the country leaders then could say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and start with smart cities or we're going to start with healthcare or education. And there would be projects and execution plans to, um, to get started on right away. Um, it became digestible and executable for them. Um, we also chose to invest uh, and to co-invest with those those countries uh, the, the the thinking being if they're prepared to invest in themselves then we're prepared to invest along with them uh, and that that allows them to mitigate the risk associated with taking on 
these new sorts of projects. Um, and we will do proofs of concept, uh, proofs of concept and pilots and the like uh, to, uh, to help them get over that hump. And um, where we started uh, was, was very modestly in France. Uh, and I'll date the program with President Hollande and Prime Minister Valls. Um, they, uh, um, they, they started the execution of this. And once it sort of got going, they handed it to a, uh, an obscure economy minister uh, named Macron uh, to run day in, day out. Of course, we, we know that he, uh, he re left politics, formed Anne Marsh, came back, became president, and then took the program national. Uh, we then went to the UK uh, at the time with David Cameron, uh, Italy with Renzi, uh, and then uh, Germany with Merkel, uh, and uh, India with Modi. Um, Modi still being the one that's, that's around and active. Um, and uh, those were our first five countries. And now, uh, remarkably, uh, we operate the program in 45 countries around the world. Uh, and have funded and completed over 1,400 individual digitization projects. Uh, and those 45 countries, by the way, represent 70% um, of the world's population and over 90% of global GDP. So they, they really are, when, when we take on projects, they really do move needles, right? Um, the second program uh, is, uh, is the Networking Academy which you may be more familiar with. Uh, that's been around for 25 years now. And I've only recently uh, uh, had them um, joined with, with CDA, uh, although they have been a part of every single CDA program, um, uh, every single country uh, that we've done over the last eight years. They're a critical component. And they operate in 190 countries around the world. Uh, they've trained up over 17 and a half million students in uh, networking skills uh, all the way through their Cisco certifications, um, uh, security, programming languages. I mean, it really is an extraordinary program. It may be the thing that Cisco does best to serve communities um, anywhere in the world. I mean, it's just an extraordinary group of people. Uh, a great program and uh, going stronger than ever after 25 years. Wow. Sounds like you're involved in two really exciting programs. So if I can skip back to CDA, because I'd always heard about CDA, CDA. Rosie tends to know more about it than what I ever did and had like a few examples, but I have a few questions. So is CDA something that is very unique to Cisco as a business or are other organizations around the world doing something similar or is it only us or? Um, so, so um, I like to think it's unique. Um, you know, we're, we're tracked by the uh, industry analyst community uh, and I get to ask them on a regular basis, is anybody doing anything similar? And the answer comes back, well, similar, no. Um, you know, they, they, they try different things, but there's nothing like CDA. And with an eight year head start, uh, I don't know that, that anybody will, will capture uh, the attention and, and meet the needs at, at their most vulnerable times um, uh, as CDA has with country, uh, you know, with world leaders. Um, it, it's just been, uh, the timing was right. The offering was right. Um, 
the the shared vulnerability was there so they were vulnerable because they needed to get going on their digitization projects and they've just decided to to ask you know a san jose based it company to help them um we're vulnerable in that we're putting money in uh up front uh with really no absolute promise or guarantee of return uh and uh, and so that shared vulnerability uh, results in trust, right? Because you, every time you come through for one another at your most vulnerable periods, you build trust. And that's what we've done for the last eight years. Now, I'm, I'm involved in one of the CDA products, projects in Scotland uh, called Peoplehood. Um, but for those who don't really understand what CDA, like the purpose of what the CDA funds are for, is there any projects that you've been involved with or had some kind of uh, involvement with that um, you want to shout out and um, kind of highlight? Well, I mean, there's several, right? We've done, we've done over 1,400. Um, there, there are some that that are genuinely impactful uh, for the communities, uh, instantly um, noticeable as, as, as changing lives. And uh, the, the one that, that, that instantly came to mind was um, uh, in Palgar. I mean, what, Palgar, India is a, a village. Uh, it's about uh, two hours outside of Mumbai. Um, and while we were putting up um, uh, we, we were taking care of, of some 100 smart cities that uh, Prime Minister Modi wanted done. Um, we started working in villages that were unconnected, completely unconnected. In fact, 50% um, of the world uh, is unconnected, which, which is just extraordinary to me. The 50% of the world's population has no access to the Internet. Well, this is one of, one of those sorts of, of places. It was a little village with a girls' school. Uh, uh, you know, dirt streets, dilapidated homes. Um, and uh, we, we decided to take it on as a project. And we, we just put up a, a tower and some Cisco kit on top and connected that village for the first time. And what you instantly saw was a recognition of, of life-changing events. These, these little girls that go to the school uh, in the village are now not going to be, you know, relegated to to just staying in their village in the confines of that village. They're going to be doctors and lawyers and engineers and work for Cisco, and they're going to do whatever they want to do because now they have access to all of the riches of the internet, like the rest of us. Um, then you look at, you know, if, if you'd asked me two years ago, uh, how many world leaders had sustainability? as sort of a top five priority, I would have told you none. Today, every one of them has sustainability as a top five priority. So we're standing up sustainability projects all over the world. And one of my favorites is actually out of the UK. It's called EFLEX. And uh, EFLEX is, I think, one of the linchpins to electric vehicles becoming a reality. Because as you know, the, the, the big challenge with uh, electric vehicles um, is that they only draw off the grid. That's all they do. They they consume energy. And um, someone thought, you know what? They need to actually be contributing energy back. So let's say you come, you know, you start your day, you use half of your battery charge on your EV. You come home, you plug it in. Normally it would just draw down, fill it back up, cut off, and you'd be ready for the next day. 
Um, we funded a project that actually allows you when you plug that in in the evening to recharge it, to drain down that half a battery that's left and contribute it back to the grid at the exact time when people are turning on their lights and they're, they're you know, cooking at home and they're turning on their televisions. So essentially the EVs become a net contributor back to the grid at exactly the time when there is a surge uh, needed, um, a surge capacity. So um, uh, then at sort of three o'clock in the morning, um, it, uh, it starts drawing back down again, gives you a full battery charge and ready to go the next day. So th that is the way that ultimately, um, EVs become a sustainable technology because they become a net contributor back, uh, even as much as they are consuming. I love those. I, I just love that project. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. It just makes sense, but it's like someone came up with that idea and it is such a clever one. And you think, isn't it that that's just amazing? It blows my mind. Um, yeah. Imagine getting, to do that, imagine getting to do that 1400 times. Yes. Wow. We, we don't we don't fund any duds, right? Not everything works out. <laughs> Every project when we put first money in is fascinating. It's new. It's different. It's part of a country's national digital agenda it's part of their future um and we're very privileged because the 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 leaders around the world um have decided uh to choose cisco to help them execute on the most important decisions and actions that they're going to make in the next 25 30 years it's really wow. it's really a, a privileged position to be in and so and how sorry rosie just a quick one for me how does the relationship work like who approaches who with an idea do we go to the governments and say we've saw this idea we could help or do they come to us how does it work no it's a great question colette because it, it varies what ultimately happens when we start up when we start a program we, we have selected a country to be a part of this program. And that's a rigorous selection process in and of itself, because you know we, we only have 45 countries. That sounds like a lot, but when you operate in 120, uh, it, it's you know a little more than a third, yeah? So it's one of those things where um, we have to choose them, but they also have to choose us. And in doing so, they agree to bring uh, three groups to the table to form this, this program, these, these CDA programs. Um, government, and I, I don't mean just any government officials, that it, it has to be sponsored by the president or prime minister of that country. If they're not in, if they're not backing it, then we won't invest. They're not a CDA country. So it starts there. Um, we then uh, have ministers from all of the key ministries or, or their vice ministers, their representatives around the table that can speak for them. Um, academia and other industry partners, because as you know, Cisco is unique in that we have 60,000 industry partners around the world. So, and they, they, they cover every vertical imaginable. So we put those key people around a table and that becomes the group that we create these national digital agendas, these execution plans for these national digital agendas. Uh, we, we, um, uh, we create the projects, they help us prioritize, they, they put some skin in the game with their time. Um, and once we have that all pulled together, 
uh, we're ready to execute the next day. And the longest it's ever taken is to pull together uh, a complete program. It's about 90 days. So, I mean, it's not like it's a long period of time. Yeah, and no, oh, I was yes. just going to ask on the back of that, yeah, because my, my project's through Innovate UK, so it wasn't government-led, so I was just going to ask the same question as Colette there about how, how do how do we engage to get into the CDA programme? But I guess, you know, if we're funding so many projects, like how, how much is Cisco committed or did they commit last year that you can share in terms of, you know, what is Cisco's commitment to the CDA programmes? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tens of millions of dollars annually. Um, it, it is... Um, a significant amount of money, um, uh, but at the same time, uh, it provides such value in return in so many ways. You know, we, we certainly appreciate it when countries decide to take a successful proof of concept, a successful pilot and scale it and replicate it. Um, at the same time, though, uh, we are we are the manifestation of Cisco's purpose on the ground, um, whereas our purpose is to power an inclusive future for all, that's exactly what we do. Uh, we connect the unconnected. We bridge that digital divide. We bring first quality health care and education to underserved populations. Um, we, we, for instance, took on um, 70 COVID specific projects after lockdown in 25 different countries in less than 10 days after lockdown. So we're able to respond so rapidly. And those were things like um, uh, connecting um, underserved populations in the middle of connected cities. Right? Imagine that you have a city like Toronto, which is one of the most connected digitized cities in the world, but you had uh, large homes with with underserved populations, uh, l large buildings uh, housing underserved populations that didn't have Internet. And even if they had access to Internet, uh, they couldn't afford it. So, you know, that's a big distinction, right? Having access and then having it available um, are two very different things. You can have it available all day long, but if you don't, can't afford it, then you don't have access to it. So we set up a digital canopy that basically set, a, set up a, a, a mesh all around these buildings so that all of a sudden these kids had, uh, you know, fantastic Wi-Fi um, that, uh, that they could get access to all of their schoolwork like everybody else. We also funded projects, uh, um, like in New Zealand, um, uh, around a youth hotline for suicide, um, prevention. And at a time when they needed, uh, the most, uh, capability and capacity to respond to, to kids in need, um, they were underfunded or unfunded because they relied on donations. Uh, and of course, when everybody's locked down, their priorities change. And so we were able to come in and give them a, again, a surge capacity, a, a, an ability to handle a massive influx uh, and to, to help fund them uh, for the duration of the pandemic. So there, there's, if you think about the importance and value of our purpose, without a manifestation of that on the ground, it's just words. And so we really do get to live that every single day. 
Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And I think there'll be a lot of people from inside Cisco who listen to this podcast and also externally who will hear our messaging of powering an inclusive future for all, but might not necessarily believe it day to day. But then what you're saying, you we actually are doing it. And everybody within Cisco, we all contribute in some way to it, whether we realise or not. And then this is going on to my sort of last question around CDA, but Rosie, you said you're involved in a project. So when these projects are launched, do we then bring together the local teams from that area to who are normal Sisconians, as we call them, day-to-day Cisco folks? Is that how it happens? We pull all the talent and then all the right people into these projects? Yeah, they're the ones that drive it. Because what, what, the, uh, what the country signs up for um, it is to drive these CDA programs locally. Um, the whole CDA team as, as a global team is just 20 people. That's it. Spread across all three geos. Um, and it's the people on the ground uh, locally, the Sisconians, that are driving that. Each uh, country uh, has people that sign up for certain tracks, be it healthcare, be it education, be it smart connected cities, security, transportation, it, it, the, the list goes on. It's whatever that national digital agenda calls for, because that's important. We don't make any of this up, right? All we do is um, is orient towards what they've already decided as a country, that government is critical uh, for their long-term prosperity and success. And so um, that's what we do. And we pull together the partners because it, Cisco's very, very good at what we do. Uh, nobody questions that. We are outstanding at connecting and, it, and doing so securely. But we don't do sensors, right? Uh, there's some bits of software that we don't write that we need. There's a, a, just a variety of different things. So we are able to go in and cherry pick from our incredible partner community uh, and um, and put together teams that can deliver on these complex solutions. So again, it's when you asked earlier, is it unique to Cisco? I would suggest that maybe Cisco is unique to it uh, more than anything. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable. And I'm going to pivot now to another hugely important program that you mentioned at the beginning is the Cisco Networking Academy. So I believe, if I'm right, we are going to be celebrating quite a big milestone birthday, 25 years of the Cisco Networking Academy. So can you just deep dive a wee bit more into that? What exactly is it? What what does it do? So the Cisco Networking Academy was, was originally founded I think for, for, you know, maybe selfish reasons, it was because we needed to train up a population to be able to um, install uh, and manage and maintain our equipment. Uh, what it has become is uh, one of the most altruistic um, and one of the most beneficial things that we do for societies, especially now that we've entered uh, what is the rapidly evolving digital age? Um, it is the way that we certify uh, our networking professionals, networking architects, networking engineers. It is Cisco's own um, way to make sure that you 
uh, install, manage, and maintain our equipment properly. And you get that certification. That certification in the marketplace is gold. Right? These people command great salaries. They get great jobs. They're incredibly well respected in the industry. They become a part of a, of a phenomenal community that's been built up over over the life of Cisco. And um, we we then branched out a bit and started bringing on uh, more and more relevant topics uh, such as cybersecurity. And now um, if you go through Networking Academy, um, let's say as a high school graduate or a two-year college, uh, you know, community college, vocational school graduate, um, you can command fantastic salaries becoming uh, security technicians. Um, and of course, we, we, we know that um, there's uh, 3 million unfilled security positions around the world right now, today. And so uh, they are in high, high demand. And the Networking Academy has a reputation for being one of the best places in the world to get skilled up. Um, importantly, um, we're also seeing the World Economic Foundation came out with a study and it's saying that by the end of 2025, we will have displaced 85 million workers because of digitization. That's just the churning that economies do, right? That That is you, your, your job is becoming obsolete because of technology. At the same time, 97 million new jobs digital age jobs are going to be created. So what is our obligation then as industry, as academia, as government? Um, it's to uh, retrain, reskill those 85 million people that are going to be displaced because they can instantly be productive and valuable in the digital age with new skills. Um, probably better paying jobs, certainly greater longevity, um, and then at the same time, we also need to skill up 12 million net new to meet that 97 million number. All of that's happening in real time right now. And that's what the Networking Academy is there to respond to. Um, it, it's just, again, it's in 190 countries around the world. And it's incredibly scalable, wonderful program. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who are kind of facing the fact that they're going to have to retrain or people coming out of school thinking, well, I didn't really enjoy what I did at university or I have a real passion about um, the IT industry. I think it's important to highlight there's certain courses on the Network Academy that are free. So the Network Academy is accessible. It's not something that you would you know, be faced with and be like, oh, I can't join that. So I think you know, there's a huge, um, important part of the Network Academy is that kind of accessibility piece. Yeah, and they, they're, they're just starting up a, a, a Skills for All program, which is uh, essentially free and it's accessible to anyone in the world that wants to learn. Um, you know, once you get into the more advanced um, uh, Cisco certification requirements, um, you know, they, they, those tend to be leader led. Uh, they tend to be uh, in a classroom environment. Um, but 
still it's instantly accessible from anybody that wants it. I'll give you a quick example, if I could. Again, we talk about value on the ground, right? What does all of this really mean to people? <clears throat> In Houston, Texas, um, we were introduced to uh, a church in an urban environment and an urban university, a liberal arts university. Um, St. John's is the church. Um, St. Thomas is the university. And they had a particular mission, the church in particular. Um, they wanted to help kids that were aging out of the foster care system. That happens in the US. You get to the end of, of you know, you get to, to, to be 18, you age out of that foster system and there is no safety net. These are the kids that unfortunately have gone all the way through, be they institutions or living with a bunch of different families or whatever, they did not get adopted. And um, given that there's no safety net, they tend to fall straight to the streets. And too many times, if you are a female, you're prostituted. If you are a male, you're given a gun. Um, you're given a bag of drugs to sell on a corner. And you are introduced to an extreme uh, life of misery, of crime and degradation. And this Pastor Rudy at this church said, you know, not on my watch. And so he went ahead and created this program and asked for help. Networking Academy stepped in, as did the CDA together. And today, if you are coming out of the foster care system in Houston, Texas, uh, you can enter uh, a networking academy program at the church. You can get trained up. Um, if you want, you can enter the university and become a student. So the life is instantly altered. The life path is instantly altered because of networking academy um, and because of a church and uh, a university. And we filled our first cohort right away. And um, we filled our second cohort, which was three times as large right away. So our big challenge now is how do we scale to the number of kids that want to participate in this program? Uh, and uh, we're gonna step up and figure out how to do that. That's incredible. We had a previous guest on who talked about supporting sort of social enterprise and charities and he says he likes to support people with good hearts and great ideas and it sounds like that's exactly what that pastor had and sometimes it just needs the people with the good hearts and great ideas to team up with the people who have the resources to make that happen and, and once that happens it's magic almost so that's an incredible story. My other question and again a little bit of a pivot here is there's going to be lots of people listening to what you've said and the fact that this is your job. And like, I personally think you've got a really cool job to be able to be involved day to day in so many of these amazing projects around the world. I know that you said at the beginning, you're a wee bit tired of the traveling and stuff now, but you obviously get to see lots of the world. You travel, you see so many projects, you obviously work with so many different people, but how, how do you get to that sort of role? What's your career journey? What was the path that you took to get that sort of job? Because people will kind of join the the 
tech world and not even know that jobs like this exist. So how do you get there? Well, like, one quick clarification. I never get tired of the travel. I get tired of the masks and of the lines at airports. The travel itself is a joy because it involves different cultures, different places, different people, um, different opportunities. Um, so my path is, is reasonably straightforward. Um, I, I graduated uh, from undergraduate, um, started a software company uh, the day after. Um, and uh, we were very. Forced. I love how you said it was very straightforward. That's not Just straightforward, guys. So okay. casual, so casual. I graduated and I started a software company. Well, well, this was. I'm I'm old, so this was in 1989. So it was it was um, it was a very very uh, early software company, um, and and we did process optimization software, and uh, we. Uh, um, we were very fortunate that uh, we sold it in 1998, so it, it was just in time. Um, uh, you guys probably are, are, are um, too young to remember the, the formal crash of 2000, but the bubble burst where all of these upstart companies all of a sudden went away. And if we hadn't been purchased by a publicly traded company um, out of Boston, uh, we would have been one of those companies. We were right in the sweet spot of, of those companies that imploded overnight by no fault of their own. Um, so uh, after I finished my work agreement with the acquiring company, um, uh, I went home and I taught um, pre-K through third grade technology at my kid's school because I hadn't seen them for a while and they were little bitty guys. And so um, uh, son and daughter, and so I did that for a bit and then um, went on to do uh, a master's and PhD. So I went back to school and we made it an adventure. So um, uh, I, I went to Cambridge in, in the UK and um, uh, got to be at King's College at Cambridge. And uh, we lived there for a while. Absolutely loved it. Finished the PhD at uh, Swansea uh, University. Um, uh, the uh, uh, the great, great Welsh town of Swansea, and um, uh, and then came back to be the vice chancellor at Texas A&M University, uh, where I was for 10 years. Um, that's where I met Cisco, where I met Chuck. Um, it was during that time. And uh, if, one evening uh, over dinner, uh, he, he asked if I was ready to leave academia, and I said yes. And... Uh, because uh, it had been 10 years. And, and the rule of thumb is, is that if you spend more than 10 years in academia, you become useless to the outside world. Uh, you become <laughs> yes. an academic. Um, so I'm going to get so much trouble for saying that, but it's this <laughs> truism. Um, and, uh, and so um, I did, I, I jumped ship uh, out of academia and into Cisco. <clears throat> and um, yeah, it, it was the greatest job interview uh, that, that I've ever had. It was basically, are you ready to leave academia? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what you'll do. I'm not sure what I can pay you and I'm not sure what your title will be, uh, but how are you with ambiguity? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had me at ambiguity. And, um, uh, and so I joined Cisco and uh, CDA was created um, by, by Chuck under his watch when he was SVP of worldwide sales. He wanted to be relevant to countries. 
in a way that that we weren't. Um, you know, we we were perceived by too many world leaders as simply box sellers, right? And which is not simple, right? That's very complex in and of itself. And we will always sell boxes, and we are fantastic at it. That is our bread and butter. But uh, he wanted to make it um, an elevated experience. He wanted us to be more relevant to uh, what their goals were, their objectives were for the future. And that's how CDA came about. Um, so then, uh, so that was eight years ago. And um, you asked, how do you, how do you uh, get a job like this? You make it up. <laughs> because there is no job like this. It is, I was just with the industry analyst today in, in Dubai. Uh, and, and after we were done talking, he said, you know, you do have the best job in tech. And I said, I, I know, just <laughs> don't tell anybody because <laughs> I do absolutely love what I do. It's yeah. one of those jobs that, that um, you don't stay up all night worrying about it, but you wake up every morning so excited to see what the day brings. And, and I can't think of a better job than that. But yeah, like, um, reminds me who we saw impacts Colette and you tweeted Chuck afterwards. Uh, the guy oh, Kevin Carroll. Yeah, Kevin you're, Carroll, the, you're the Kevin Carroll of Cisco. <laughs> yeah, that's what he talks about. That Nike basically gave him a job to just basically be what was that like this the spark or something or like they they were like we don't really know what we're going to do with you but just come in here and you're just going to ignite our organization and that was just basically his job like um and i'm amazed by that and i this is my favorite part about doing the podcast is listening to people's journeys and i find it so inspiring because I've said it all a lot on different episodes of the podcast. I'm very much a generalist. I've never really followed a set path. I've done a bit of startup in the social enterprise world. I've done some time in finance. I'm now in tech. My background is languages from, from St Andrews University, who, by the way, just topped Cambridge as number one university in the UK. So I have to I have to stick it to you there. <laughs> Rub my face in it. That's OK. Yeah. Well, we've never yeah. done it before. Cape are always third to Cambridge or Oxford. So I think it was like the first time ever that St Andrews have done it. Um, but yeah, I've had I've gone in so many different directions and I'm always like, oh, I don't know where I'm going to go next or what to do. And and I've kind of had situations like that in the past where I've got I've done jobs that hadn't really existed before. It's been a case of organizations have said, we think you'd be a good fit. We're not really sure what we're going to do with you, but come on anyway and we'll see how it works out. And I think it's really inspiring to know that that still happens. And as long as you're passionate about something and you just it's a, I think it's a message to younger people that you need to surround yourself with the right people and the people who can recognize the skill set that you have and not be scared to pivot. I mean, you've gone from startup tech to academia, teaching, into big corporate tech, and and now you're doing like probably the most fun job in Cisco. So, yeah, it's a great message to our younger listeners who are maybe feeling like they don't know what direction to go in. So, thank you so much for sharing. No, of course, and and you you really hit on something because the uh, part of the key is opening yourself up to the uncertainty of change and opportunity. You you have to. You almost have to suspend your disbelief, right? Um, because that's normally what holds you back is that disbelief, that fear, uh, um, 
that thought that things aren't going to work out. Um, if you just untether yourself from that and give it a shot, it's not always going to live up to expectation, uh, but most things are recoverable. Uh, and yet at the same time, you're opening yourself up to this whole new world of opportunity, even one that you create yourself. Um, and it, uh, believe me, it's worth it. Exactly. You went from, you know, most people would be in a job for 10 years and think, this is great. This will, this will be my career. This will see me to the end of retirement. And, you know, Chuck went, do you want to try something new? And you went, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but here's the other thing. And this is this is a really important part of this. Right. I, I am a firm believer that. You go to work for a person and you hope the place grows on you. Mm. Right. Oh, we and, believe and that too. It. Yeah, well, it's exactly what happened. So, so Chuck was just a a really, really good guy. Apart from being now CEO and chairman, he's just a genuinely good person, and he's fun to be around, and he's really interesting. And that was somebody I wanted to work with, uh, and uh, and work for. And so then Cisco grew on me. Because it is, uh, people don't understand it on the outside, but when you're on the inside, you realize what a really special place this is and um, how it's got a culture that truly is unique in the industry. Um, those aren't just words. And the fact that they're willing to fund mm. a program so that their purpose manifests itself daily on the ground to people that will never meet Cisco, may not even know who Cisco is, um, is extraordinary. And it says something about the culture. It's why the culture is a lasting culture. Yeah. And I think that says a lot even about CDA and Networking Academy. And I'm, I'm sure it is publicized, Excel. I'm sure there are plenty of people out there that know what we do, but there'll be plenty of people that don't know that we do it. And we do it kind of humbly in the background, giving back to communities and not necessarily looking for the credit or anything. So, and I think that says a lot about a company's culture and values too. So it's really, really incredible. And I have one parting question. So before we round up, um, so first of all, are your kids grown up now? Yes, yes. So I, 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 I would I, like I, to know, did, did your teaching skills pay off enough to inspire them into the tech world or? All right, so um, full confession, <laughs> um, I got married very young, um, not nearly as young as my wife, but uh, I got married very young and, and that was 32 years ago. So we've been married for 32 years. Um, we have uh, two wonderful children. My daughter uh, is an operating room nurse in Austin, Texas. Um, she's 26 and uh, she's actually getting married uh, in November. Aww. So that'll be, that'll be good fun. Uh, and my son is 24. Uh, and he is studying cybersecurity. Um, he was for a while uh, an EDM artist, of all things, electronic wow. dance music. Uh, wow. He was doing really well and having a great time and playing festivals and doing whatever else. And and uh, and then COVID hit, and um, uh, so we uh, uh, he he shifted a bit and is now um, learning cybersecurity and and preparing for that career. The point in telling you that I've been married for 32 years is I've also been gone for most of that 32. 
Uh, and so whatever uh, social value, redeeming value uh, um, that my children have, it's because of, of my long-suffering wife. And, <laughs> um, and both children are very happy and, and successful and enjoying their lives. So thank goodness for that. No thanks. Oh, testament, <laughs> testament to both of you. Exactly. Um, well, congratulations to your daughter from both of us and the sister. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Big shout out on the podcast for her wedding. So, thank you so much, Guy, for joining us on your travels. We'd really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, all that's left for us to say is thanks again for sharing your amazing story. It's been amazing to hear about Networking Academy, about CDA. I'm sure everyone will go away feeling inspired and just hyped up about the good stuff that we do here at Cisco that we sometimes don't get to hear about when we get caught up in our day jobs. So thanks so much again. Safe travels wherever you're off to next and we'll see you soon. Thank all right, you. Cheers. Thank you both. Well, Rosie. I hope that that lived up to the expectations that we built at the beginning of this podcast. I would have to say it's definitely one of my top three. Oh, controversial. You saved that there, my top three, and not saying your favourite. We could never have favourites on this show. Never, but Um, definitely top three. Yeah, I think purely because it was something that I genuinely didn't know about. I, I always heard people talking about CDA and Networking Academy, but I never actually knew yeah. what we did so i've been involved but i think as i said at the start it's just the scale and the actual impact we're making and the projects that we get involved in i just think is quite phenomenal um and, and also really interesting. and just from like a personal selfish perspective i'm just um like i just love hearing people's career journeys because sometimes when you feel like you're kind of like not sure what direction you're going to go in and then you hear from people like guy who have literally done all sorts of things startup yeah. teacher academia mm-hmm. now he's working for cisco like it just goes to show that like, you don't have to be like linear and you don't it's totally fine to like take chances and pivot yeah. and-, and i think when you're growing up and at school and university like you almost get put in a box or like you you get pigeonholed into well you're good at this so you're going to do that and it's like well yeah but there's always transferable skills there's always a different industry that might not even be here today that's going to be here tomorrow and i just think it's nice to hear from people in the industry around a how they got there what paths they took and i know guys said he had a very straightforward path he didn't <laughs> yeah i know no. um, so like it's just interesting because i think like when you're at school you're like oh god i need to choose this career or i need to choose this course at university and that's going to be it it's not yeah and also what you said there one of the stats that i found really interesting from guy's interview was i think a lot of people are like some people anyway are worried about digitization and it's going to mean loads of people are going to lose their jobs and what happens if we just are robots going to do everything like this is what some people think eventually robots are going to take over the world and but listening to his stats which we probably could get the source from for but we don't know what it is right now but anyway that they say that 85 million jobs are going to be lost because of the digital movement and digital progression in the workforce, but 97 million jobs will be created. And I think if I remember right, he said something like there's like a 3 million um, jobs gap right now in cybersecurity. So basically there's 3 million jobs out there that need to be filled I in cybersecurity. I remember all those facts and figures, I'm quite impressed. 
because it stuck out to me because I was like, I hear all the time about people panicking about robots going to take over the world and there's not going to be any jobs left. And then you have people like Guy who set the story straight and they're like, no, actually, there's going to be 97 million jobs created. Mm -hmm. It's an exciting time and people understandably might be scared that they might have to retrain but there is so much opportunity out there and especially for young people to grasp like this is the digital age like i know we've been in it for a wee while but it's only going to keep getting bigger and bigger and the opportunities are going to grow and also sustainability if you listen to guy is where it's at guys so everybody yeah. now has an agenda around sustainability so if you have any interest in that follow it pursue it reach out to people understand it and that would be my advice um and the other thing i wanted to ask though is you mentioned that you were involved in a cda project in mm -hmm. the pod but you didn't really go into it are you allowed to talk about it or yeah yeah we're allowed to talk about it so i'm i'm part of um the cisco team it's definitely a team but like um guy said that obviously the account managers run it but there's a project team that um i work with in regards to the cda and um, ours is called Peoplehood. Um, we are doing it with Blackwood um, Housing Association. And it is how technology and kind of being more connected can help people live independently for five extra years. So it's kind of around like, we, we work with loads of partners on this project. So it's not Cisco, it's very much a collaborative effort, but it's about like, um, connectivity is about getting up and moving and being more active and more social and um i'm really interested because i don't know if you remember i think it was a channel four documentary about um how they sent nursery kids into the nursing home and it helped oh, them be more i loved that. Oh, that yeah i loved it loved that. so i was actually really excited when they were talking about this project off the back of watching that because i was like the transformation in these people that were part of that program was phenomenal. So if we could, you know, kind of take that, obviously we're not taking that, but like the, um, how the people felt after the end of that nursery program, like, I think that'd be great if we could kind of make that wider and make people more connected. And so you do that as like a stretch assignment on top of like your, your job like how did that come to you like for people within cisco who might be looking to get involved is that because that is an account that you look after or how does it work yeah it's one of my accounts i'm aligned to yeah okay. um so it depends on who your account is but I actually started before i started at cisco so like it's non like it's a three-year project that's really interesting so there you go like cda sounds like it's something that's big and global but actually it's happening here on the ground where we are mm -hmm. And there's probably opportunities for lots of people to be involved in all these things. So all in all, a very informative pod. I absolutely loved it. Um, I'm a big fan of Guy. Um, I think his job's like the coolest job. I know. I'm going to be hunting him down at Impact. Like, I think you should just come just to meet Guy. <laughs> I know. I know. And on that note, I'm off to have some stew and Willy Winky sausages. <laughs> and don't forget to like and subscribe uh, and email us at ciscouikipodcast. And we'll read out the nicest ones. I just said that completely wrong. <laughs> email us at ukipodcast.com. That's the one, Rosie. Well done. Right, Rosie. I'll see you soon, pal.
word pal just gets me every time. I just can't. 